0: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Securing Bridges podcast. You're about to join Alyssa Miller as she sits down with senior and executive security leaders to share stories of success and failure while working across business teams. It's time to build and secure the bridge to the business. Knowledge is power now more than ever.
1: All right, Securing Bridges listeners, here we are once again. I know we missed last week. We had a last-minute cancellation. Things happen. People have things come up. That's, you know, that's a problem of a live show. Sometimes it just doesn't work out, and, you know, we have to skip a week. But we're back. We've got an amazing guest this week. Our guests every week have been super incredible. So, you know, we're, we're doing the same again this week. We'll just keep the, we'll keep the awesome guests coming and we'll keep getting into it as far as how do we bring cybersecurity messaging to the rest of the world all those people who you know don't do this for a living for instance because i mean after all that's kind of what we're here for right so that's what we're talking about this week and every week here on securing bridges so our guest this week episode 21 wow we are at 21 episodes already that's kind of flown by in and of itself but this week with us, we've got Frank McGovern. Frank, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are you doing? You know, as a someone who likes blackjack, I'm happy to be on the 21st episode.
1: Oh, there you go. <laughs> Hadn't even thought of that. That's Yeah, it works out. That works out well. Well, cool. So Frank, before we even get started, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself to those of us in our audience who don't know you?
2: Uh, yep, so I'm Frank McGovern at Frank McGee on Twitter. I am a cybersecurity architect for a Fortune 100 financial company called StoneX, and I'm also one of the co-founders of Blue Team Con, amongst many other things that I am getting into in life.
1: <laughs> trouble, hopefully not uh, too much trouble. Um, yeah. But no, so I, you, a lot of fascinating things to dive into. And, I, you know, I'll be honest with, you know, what. Full disclosure to those out there watching and listening, you know, part of the inspiration for this was that Blue Team Con story, right? I mean, it, Blue Team Con was this past week. For those of you that don't know, Frank's the founder. I am actually on the board for Blue Team Con, and it seemed like a really good time to, to talk about that, and we'll dig into um, into the, the Blue Team Con story a little bit and kind of, you know, what what you're seeing there. but. Before we do that, let, let's talk a little bit about your role as a security architect, because I feel like that's a role that a lot of people hear about, but they have a lot of different thoughts, opinions on what an architect really should be. So in your experience, I mean, what, what, kind of, what does architect mean for you?
2: Uh, I would say my role and what I enjoy most doing is being that bridge uh, between the business and the technical teams on the security side and kind of figuring out what makes sense and what doesn't. Where should security actually push and where they shouldn't push? Because it often seems like we're trying to address every risk and we're just like, oh, you need to do all the things and no one really actually listens to the business and understands where they're coming from. So my role is to better understand where the business is coming from and find the compromise and, and figure out like what standards they should meet as well as making sure there's consistency with everybody.
1: Awesome. So, I mean, you're, you're talking to the former BSO, So, you yeah. know, you know how I feel about bridging the gap and hence the name of the show.
2: Yeah. It, um, it falls very in line with BSOs. Yeah. Which is uh, something my organization doesn't have, but is looking into, but I, I would say it really fits into it. It's almost like a BSO role, but you're just with every business line, which gets tiring, but
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I can imagine that, that, got to be a pretty broad set of understanding that you need um, when you can't just focus on one business line and how they run. So yeah. I, as you look at your role, I mean, I, I know within a lot of organizations and sounds like yours, the, an architect is pretty high level, right? I mean, that, that's someone who's been in the trenches for a lot of years, has a lot of technical skills and experience, but then, as you mentioned, kind of, you know, a little bit extra right? More of the, the business awareness. So what do you feel like sets you up for success in that role?
2: I would say, like you're saying, it, it's really good to be a jack of all trades. If you're trying to be deep into one knowledge area, it's probably not going to go very well unless you're trying to be a, a scoped architect, like the, which does exist. Like if you want to be a software architect, for example, and just handle code and, and that kind of area it works. But if you're trying to be a general cybersecurity architect for a large enterprise, um, you need to wear many hats. And I, I would say my entire path has set me up for success here in a a well way because I come from a, you know, intelligence background. So I have the analytical mind as my foundation when I really started as an adult. And then I moved into general IT and infrastructure stuff. So I got the, all the networking and and data systems background and then kind of pivoted into security from there. Um, So it, it really helps everything around. And then as I kind of grew up in the Security engineer role at the last company I had, we didn't have a robust security team. So I help, I started to help building the GRC program there. And I would say that area has helped a lot as well. So if, if you want to be an architect, you kind of have to have a little bit of all that. i don't not going to say anyone needs to be an expert in any of it. If you've just touched kind of every area there is on that huge cybersecurity map that we see where it's like, uh, there's so much to know. If you've touched a good amount of those, like 80%, I would say, you're probably in a good position to speak enough in, in a position like this.
1: So in that sense, I mean, it's it's not like your entry-level role, obviously. Yeah. Um, and it, it does seem to be, uh, you know, kind of that that progression up from, hey, you know, that, that engineering level, like you mentioned, someone who's maybe more hands-on day-to-day to now you're providing a little bit more, it sounds like consultative guidance, maybe things along that line.
2: Yeah, I would say so. Yeah, I, I think this is like the next path for somebody that doesn't yet probably want to move into management uh, or as wants to kind of get that outward experience instead of just implementing tools at like an engineer level or sitting at an analyst. Even if you're a team lead, you're, you're doing some direct reporting, having some direct reports at a team lead level, but you're still clicking a lot of buttons. This is a good way to move out of the button clicking and starting to get more engaged with the business and helping out with what the board wants and all that kind of visibility. So uh, my goal is to move into management and up to CISO level. So uh, it's not that I want to stay in the technical realm. This was just the best position for me to kind of, I like to be involved in almost everything and not so siloed. So cybersecurity tech is the perfect role for someone with like my personality that wants to be involved in everything, but doesn't yet want to uh, deal with the pains that CISOs deal with, with that full responsibility. Yet. <laughs> I Okay. I hear you.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but no, and that's, you know, I think for a lot of folks, after you spend a lot of time in the trenches, so to speak, or you, you know, you, you've you've done that where you've you've been in roles where you've been focused on a particular discipline, it is kind of attractive to get into that space where, hey, I can now see the bigger picture. I can expand beyond just being the cybersecurity expert or whatever you want to call it. To now, I'm I'm really starting to help shape the business from a greater level. Do you feel like you get to kind of, you know, how how much you feel like you have that impact on sort of where the the company goes overall from a strategy perspective? Are you are you influencing, say, your CISO as well as the business, or how does that look? Uh,
2: absolutely, I would say it it very much does. Uh, I helped kind of kick off the roadmap and charity discussion because we we were still in when I joined the company was still in a little bit of a fire alarm session and like just putting out fires all the time and and kind of solving things as they come up and just kind of, I like to call it cherry picking where you're just like, what should we do? And it's like, Oh, I like this. And I like this. So that's kind of like what you work on. Um, I I like a little more structure than that and kind of like a plan, like a three year plan or so. So even though that has to be a living document, I like putting it down on paper and just kind of agreeing to something because of the resourcing you need to worry about. So I just, started the effort to like, let's put down what we want to do over the next three years. Like what's missing and where do we need to go? And and then started aligning it to the building of our risk register as well.
1: Nice. Yeah, so that's a, a topic near and dear to my heart. People have heard me probably harp on this before if they've watched this show ever, but I'm all about roadmaps, right? Like I love the thing, very much like you were describing, I love have a vision where we want to go and let's talk about what we're doing over the next three years to try to get there. Not just you know. Sometimes you got to start with just the tactical, you know, kind of what you refer to as cherry picking, but eventually that that's got to get more more aligned to what are our goals, where do we want to be three years from now. So how, what tools or you know what strategies have you been able to leverage to kind of bring the business context into that? Because you mentioned being that bridge with the business, how have you been able to really draw on? what they're doing to make sure that that plan or that roadmap aligns to what you're trying to achieve from a business perspective.
2: Yeah. I would say, uh, to go back really quick, the, one of the big things too, that's so good about a roadmap is it really helps reduce burnout. You notice it in the engineers heavily when they're just being pivoted everywhere. And it's like, whatever the new shiny is, is what they're going towards. And then whatever they left behind is just the duct tape and bubble gums environment, uh, that they didn't finish. Cause it's still at 80%. So, that that's the real value of a roadmap and, and getting it is very important. So yeah, I, I'm glad you emphasize it as well because it, it just people need structure, even yeah. though some people do like the chaos, it only lasts so long before they really start getting burned out they don't understand. Cause when you can't even measure where you're going, how can you even tell there's any progress being done? So, uh, and it just gets a little exhausting. But yeah. Like I said, when I, I would say when I was about a week into the role I was already being tossed into vendor meetings nonstop, and eventually, I just was like, "What's the use case for why we're looking at this vendor?" And people are like, "I don't know. We're we're just looking at tools because we can buy tools." And I'm like, "Okay, well, we need to understand why we're buying tools. We can't just spend money, spend money."
1: I'm so. I'm, I'm struggling with that myself. Can I? <laughs> can someone please hand me the budget that is just burning holes in their pockets? I I would love it. Yeah, the finance, the
2: finance world has that. I think you've experienced that a little bit.
1: Oh God, I, I'm I'm in that that mode right now of you know budget season and starting to think about capital budgets for next year. And it's and of course every year it's the same thing, right? It's all right. I want all of this, and you know when you ask for this, you're going to get this. You know that. that They're going to shrink it down. I got to remember we have people who listen to this on audio only. So my hand gestures mean nothing to them right now. (laughs) Um, But no, you, you ask for a lot. You ask for the ideal. And, you know, at some point it's going to get pared down because nobody gives you unlimited budget. So how do you then take that and make sure that the business is getting what they need to be successful out of the things that you're trying to do?
2: I spend a lot of my time just kind of learning what the business does. So when I'm, I'm actually was new to the finance world when I joined here, it's almost two years ago now. So uh, well, well, I knew how to do things like stocks and 401ks from my personal self. I didn't really understand a lot of the finance aspects and like, how does, you know, sending payments around the world work? And how does the backend infrastructure look from the markets and exchanges to sending to corporations, all that kind of stuff. So, uh, the answer is it's extremely complex and it's also that duct tape and bubble gum by the way, (laughs) but the, but the answer, uh, but yeah, I I guess I spent a lot of time just meeting with the business and just like having them tell me what they do from a finance side. Don't tell me from a tax side, just tell me what your, so if I meet with an application owner, tell me what your application does. What's the purpose of it? Oh, I get it. So that's so like a corporation can log in and that's how they send money from, you know, US to Germany, they click these buttons. Here's what they do in the product. And then I would just use my experience to see where in that line is there's some kind of security gap or concern that should be addressed. You know, you start dig- then you start do digging into the technicals of, you know, what does the API look like? Uh, what, what does the app itself look like? Does it need to be pen tested? Those kind of things. So it's really just, I would say understanding the business line and understanding the application, and then just knowing the standards that the company is trying to promote and knowing the general security best practices, uh, and then, if you're regulated, you do have to know some things like NIST or ISO or PCI or HIPAA, those kind of things. But once you get enough experience with all of those, they're they're pretty similar, and it just makes sense for like what best practices are. So it's really just meeting with the business and have your thinking cap on for like you know what what's pulling my mind, what what what's a red flag or like throwing up red flags or concerns, and then kind of addressing those. And then with whatever current policies and standards are in place, which hopefully exist. If they don't, then you. You help build those.
1: Nice. So do you get involved then too in like product strategy discussions? Or is it more you know they come to you after they've kind of started down a road and you're you're helping maybe on like the like vendor selection or you know architecture discussions? Um
2: to the business side, it's all over the place. Uh, if we have the common, you know, we're, we're approached at the thirteenth hour when they're ready to push out the product to live, and then we're like, "Oh, yeah, that's not happening."
1: No, that never happens. Come on, product would never be uh, that to us.
2: <laughs> I wouldn't say t- too much product strategy outside of security functions, like you know, having certain requirements that are like, "Yeah, you're not going to go live until you implement these certain security mechanisms we've talked we've talked about, or that we have as a standard." Um, but from, from internally, so my, my time is heavily split, I would say 60% towards the business, 40% inward towards like our cybersecurity personnel. So that 40% inwards towards security engineers and the analysts and the, the, that whole team, I I am giving guidance on vendors to go with on like what security tools we should go with to solve certain problems and then helping kind of with, along with POCs here and there. And then like, where are we going to go when we implement it in the, in the project build out of, what's the best way to implement this product long-term.
1: So when you're talking to the business then about that, I mean, where do you, where's like your biggest struggle or you know, what, because what, I mean, you're, you're talking to people every day who cybersecurity is not their primary job. Yes. And so you're having to make those translations and, and really present it in a way that means something to them. Where do you find, what, what's the most difficult part in, in that whole process for you?
2: I would say the difficult parts the initial defense mechanism people throw up because you never know how someone's been burned by their experience. So uh, I, I'm sure a lot of business people have come across security teams that are the the people of no. that They're just the, the, the no team, and that's what security is known as. So uh, I, I have gotten good feedback from business leaders that, like, it's been great that you listened to us, kind of. And they've responded like, I'm so glad you just had a meeting where you just listened to us and learned what our product does because... No one's ever done that before. And these are people that have been in the industry for like 30 years saying that. So <laughs> uh, so just caring to dig in is, but that initial defense mechanism, when you first meet with them and you're reaching out and they just look at you and are, you know, like you're all of a sudden thrown into a meeting with them and you're a cybersecurity architect and here's director of security. And they're just like, oh God. And they just immediately are like, what am I gonna get yelled at for? You know, what am I doing wrong? And uh, do I really have to do all this? Cause, cause they're worried, like they're, they're trying to get to production so are we gonna delay that? Is it gonna be six months delayed now because now security's here and caring about that? So a lot of them care, but at the same time, you know, like you said, they just wanna, they're the business side, they wanna get their product out. Um, so they, they wanna do it securely, but they don't realize all the things that are necessary to do it. So it's our job to be that Sherpa to get there.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is kind of shocking when you hear that too, right? I mean, oh my God. I nobody from security has ever talked to you about what your business does before. And yet we're going to try to secure it. I mean, to me, that's like saying, Hey, I'm going to secure this IOT device, but I'm not going to learn anything about microservices or how these things communicate or anything else. I'm just going to secure it. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's so, so, you know, being able as a security person to drive that message and to help them understand, because at the end of the day, they don't really, you know, that's not their primary yes they care but it's not their primary responsibility and i think that's a that's a thing we lose a lot and i we're getting better i think and and you tell me what you think but i feel like we're getting better but we still there's there's a lot of that well the users are stupid developers don't care product people will will just sell anything you know what we don't realize is it's not a matter of not caring they're they're priorities are just different than ours
2: yeah or they just don't they don't have the experience in security right it's not their role like i'm sure they've learned some secure coding and and things like that but their job is not to know a lot of the behind the scenes security stuff that we kind of implement but yeah i agree the the comments the the comments are okay i would say behind the scenes you know joke around with your security buddies. Like, like, God, these users are stupid. These dads just never listen. It's the same all the time, but you really can't take that mentality into the room when you meet with them. Just let that as a, use that as like a stress relief for yourself, but don't actually take it serious because uh, they do care for the most part. You're always going to come across the people that just never listen to you, but you have to just figure out their personality and how they'll listen to you eventually. But yeah, if you go into the room, with immediate that you're smarter than them, you're better than them, or they have to follow you. Even if you have policy and executive backing, like executive committee and high level board backing, you can't just go into the room and be like, I'm I'm in charge, here's what's gonna happen. Because that's not, they're not gonna view that way at all. uh, And it's it's just not gonna go well for you. And that's where that defense mechanism comes up. And once that wall comes up, it takes months and years to get it back down again to where you need it to be to make progress. You need to make sure they're on the team with you um, and make sure they realize that and that you're an enabler for them. So by getting in early, having good conversations with them and and kind of being that person that listens, they'll start bringing you in earlier to some of the initiatives they have, or else all of a sudden you're going to realize they keep bringing you into the 13th hour of the product every time because they just don't want to deal with you.
1: Yeah. The, so the metaphor I've started using, for that. well, first of all, I, you know, to the attitude, like just remember that when you sit there and you joke about how stupid they are or how much they don't care, remember that they're saying the same thing about you as yeah. a security person. They're looking at you and saying, you're so dumb you don't understand software development or you don't understand product management or this or that, and you don't care. All you want to do is make everything secure. You don't care if it actually works. Those jokes go both ways. So understand that if that, yeah, that moves from being a, a joke to an attitude, that's it, problematic. But the metaphor I've used is I, up until very, very recently, was a soccer referee. And one of the concepts in refereeing soccer was, you know, the players invited us to be a part of the game, right? Like they can play the game either way, whether they have a referee or not. Now, will it be as enjoyable? Will they like it as much? Maybe, maybe not. But at the end of the day, they invited us to be there to enforce the rules for them. It's kind of the same with security. Like a business can run without a security team. A business can make money without a security team. They've invited us to come in and to help them make their product secure, make sure that they don't have issues of being breached or anything else. But at the end of the day, they can't exist without us. And I think we need to kind of as security people remember that, hey, you know what? we're kind of like guests in that room and so when you talk about breaking down those walls and not you know not putting yourself in a position where they're going to put the wall back up I kind of that that's the sort of thing I thought of there is that does that mean I mean, do you see it kind of the same way or am I totally off base
2: no i do and i think uh part of your talk at blue team Count was around this wasn't it that like uh you have to show that you're kind of an enablement of the business and you need to make people realize that and once they realize that you're on the same team you're on the same side with the same goals they really start bringing you in at the right time and start working along because if if people just think you're the the lock it down and the people of no it's it's they that that does seem like it's the opposite of what they're trying to achieve which is moving forward and progressing but once they realize, oh, this is the team that's going to help make sure my app stays up, so it never goes down, so we don't lose money for several days. Well, that's the team I probably want to talk to, and I want to get and I want to talk to them early to make sure we get it all figured out before production comes.
1: Yeah, you just have to help them see that that's what you're going to do. And so you mentioned Blue Team Con, perfect segue at the perfect time. We couldn't have planned <laughs> that any better. Well done. Um, but let's talk about Blue Team Con a little bit now. So we've talked about this architect role, and obviously, you and I are both, you know, heavy Blue Teamers, um, at least at this point in our careers. Um, yeah. You know, just let let's just talk origin story first of all. What is Blue Team Con in the first place for those out there who don't know, and how did this come to be a thing?
2: Yeah, I mean, I say Blue Team Con is the conference for everybody that kind of cares about the security of organization so that's everybody so even if you consider yourself offensive security uh, sorry guys but you're part of the blue team <laughs> so welcome aboard uh but yeah the goal is th- the blue team is considered like the defenders just like when they say blue team red team you know halo references and many other references like star wars and such um but the the, the goal is to share information from the defender side and the people that do work like us, security architects, security engineers, um, CSOs, BSOs, architects, I think I said, and then, uh, but one of the big extensions there is also to the application security side and then the GRC folks as well, writing policies and standards and doing audits and compliance stuff.
1: So we've got a lot of conferences, right? I mean, cybersecurity has no shortage of conferences. How, how does Blue Team Con come in differently? I mean, what what was it that you said, hey, this is something we need that doesn't exist today? Or what? what's that thing that really made Blue Team Con stand out in your mind?
2: I think it was the focus that I just explained. So when I, when I was a young practitioner, when I was a young boy, I went to um, – I was going around to all the name brand conferences that we all know and love, right? Uh, at the time, Derby Con. I'd gone to GuraCon. Con. Um, Circle CityCon shout out as well. And to Defcon, Black Hats, uh, a lot of those trainings, uh, even some of the stance trainings, and just realized a lot of it was really focused on the hacking side and a lot of offensive security stuff or a lot of deep forensic stuff and those types of areas that focuses much more on like offensive materials and malware and and all the all that kind of stuff. So I started looking for, you know, where are the defender type security conferences? And that's when I realized that they kind of didn't exist. The ones that did exist were really focused in the silos, mostly DOD areas, or they were vendor owned. So it was like the vendor really pitching their product for the most part. so that's when I, you know, I was going around communicating and kind of looking for these. And eventually it was just like, I guess that I was talking to uh, my co-founder, Stella Valvanis, who's the CEO of Onshore, um, had a relationship with him from a previous role and just started talking to him and was like, you know, we should just do this ourselves, I guess, because it doesn't exist. <laughs> so uh, we, we just started making it from there.
1: And that, I mean, so now, you know, the the step into like the fourth dimension here or the fourth wall or whatever, you know, I mean, being on the board, that was one of the things that was important to me was the fact that it was community led. Because I I think that that's one thing, if there was anything that I personally would want to message about Blue Team Con, it was the fact that, you know, there are some Blue Team focused conferences out there. But like you said, most of them are owned by vendors. So you, you're always, you know, a lot of the presentations are going to be their people cause they're, you know, in some cases it's only their people. Um, but, you know, and I've attended those and I've spoken at some of them and, you know, they're good for what they are, but we have so many community cons that are focused on, like you said, more of the hacking side. And yeah, sure. Some of them bring in, blue team concepts i mean heck even defcon has allowed the blue team village to exist yeah but it, it's that community thing that i think makes the difference when we're talking blue team con
2: yeah and some started to get there more um some conferences start having more and more defensive talks so it got to like a nice 50 50 split or maybe like 60 40 but i did notice when going to conferences and talking to attendees of the ones that did exist at the time that like Everyone I talked to wasn't even offensive security either. So I was like, everyone here, like 90% of the people I talked to were not offensive security, but it's a hacking conference. And then I would talk to the vendors that are sponsoring it. And most of them are, most of the ones that were there for like, for example, recruitment purposes, were not recruiting offensive security people. They were looking for like security engineers and security architects and, you know, a CISO. Uh, and then they would, and then if they were selling services, They're not selling services to an offensive security team. They're selling services for defensive security team. So all these people were just at hacking conferences because that's all that existed. But nothing really brought them the right community and the right audience. And that's what we're trying to do with Blue Team Con.
1: So two years in, right? Originally, we're going to have it start in 2020. COVID added other ideas. Um, Two years now in a row, Blue Team Con has happened. Right. Fairmont in Chicago, two day event. It's been seemingly well received. What it coming out of this most recent event this past weekend, what was kind of your feeling about just the, the success or where do you feel like Blue Team Con is as far as where you're hoping it'll be?
2: Uh, I think it's going well. I mean, this year was like so seamless. I felt like it was just a day job when it came along and went and left. Like compared to the first year, I don't know if I'm sure you remember, but Behind the scenes, people don't realize, but it's chaos.
1: <laughs> Absolute chaos. Yeah, but we—
2: but that chaos helps the front end look as beautiful as it can be um, and kind of go on very smoothly. But this year was definitely, I would say, easier. I, I hope it's the same for from your side as well. Um, but yeah, I felt very smooth, but my, my goal is to grow it. So uh, we did grow 30% this year, I would say, in attendance rate, but my, growth, my goal is to probably get it five times the size of where it is right now, I would say i really want to grow it be big um when i initially launched it i was like let's take on defcon let's be like the blue teamer for defcon let's have a thirty thousand person defense count but then i realized like that's like a that's a full-time conference runner and that's not what i want to do with my life and build a whole conference organization or or ever like sell it off to a conference organization that just looks at it for money um
1: I mean, they've also been doing it for 30 years, so it is. Yeah. You know, it might be a few years out before Blue Team Con gets to that level, but yeah, you know, I think
2: the right, I think the right is where we're kind of like thinking as we're trying to grow it to be about a 2,500 to 3,000 person conference. So that's my goal. Uh, so I think if we can get there, that'll be nice. I kind of want to take over the Fairmont, so we can, we can tell them what what the rates are and and what we're going to do with their hotel compared to the other way around. So we can hopefully make it cheaper for all of you and everyone that wants to attend.
1: that's an important thing to understand too is you know i I think people look at conferences and how do you you know some of these conferences they range right i mean there's some that you know 30 50 bucks a ticket some that are 25 27 hundred dollars a ticket i'm looking at you black hat and rsa you know i mean and and everything in between and granted i mean black hat rsa these are gigantic conferences right with a lot of amenities and a lot of everything else Where did, how did you find like the balance that you wanted to strike between the affordability of the conference and being able to, to really provide some of the, you know, the amenities of a bigger, more established conference, because I feel like there's a lot already there. And that was commentary I heard this past weekend was, there's a lot of things that people are shocked to hear that Blue Team Con is doing in only its second year.
2: Yeah, Uh, if you like spreadsheets, you'll figure it out. It's, it's probably the best answer. I just said, uh, you know, play, if you like uh, if you like playing RPG games where you have to sit there and figure out resourcing, uh, that's that is the nick to have to, or I should say, the knack to have to launch a conference because you, you'll probably figure it out. But yeah, it was really just sitting down in the spreadsheet and kind of figuring out all the line items, like look, coming up with all what would the sponsorship opportunities be, and then looking at like, okay, obviously we're not going to get every sponsorship. So make a mark, maybe we'll get 30 to 40%. So if we get 30 to 40% and let's say we're shooting for this amount of people that will attend, then you can start doing numbers on here's how much income we'll take in and then start doing, as you're pulling quotes, as you're kind of like figuring out what you're going to launch, you kind of see what the cost is going to be. And then you kind of play around with it. And then eventually you kind of figure out what's the right striking point. While also trying to make sure that you, you know, do balance it where you want to be. I think when we, I honestly don't even remember where our ticket price came from, but it, it, it was thrown out there around to be around that area, I think, because that's what we, I was looking at other conferences too, that were similar to what we wanted to be. And that's around the price range they were at. So that, that was kind of just, it was more like a, see what your competition is doing for the most part, even though I don't really view other cons as competition, but, you know, see what your peers are doing uh, and then kind of follow that.
1: Yeah. And that's, and I think that's important too, right? Like, I mean, we've already here mentioned Circle City Con and well, okay. I'm on the board for that one too. So, um, and as you saw, one of our our viewers is too, but, um, but no, I I think there is a lot of that collaboration that I don't know if people really realize goes on between conferences where, you know, conference organizers are talking to each other because we, at the end of the day, we want to make sure we're not colliding on dates and we want to make sure that we're not, you know, stepping on toes that there's enough space between our conferences that people feel like if they want to, they can participate in both. And we're sharing lessons learned and we're constantly, you know, there's this exchange of ideas. I don't feel like anybody is like cornered the market on how to, you know, how to run the perfect conference. So, you know, I, I think that's important for people maybe who don't understand what it's like, you know, planning a conference. To really be aware that that that's something that goes on behind the scenes too. It's not just a. It, it's definitely not a competitive environment. I don't think either.
2: No, I mean, in order to launch this, I had to learn from multiple other conference runners in order to figure out what to do, or else we wouldn't be anywhere near successful what we are. So when people look at us and like, wow, they're so successful for only year one, year two, that's because we just listen to other people that are already in year eight through twenty-five through thirty, like you said. So. I've even had conversations with Defcon founders and organizers. So uh, we've learned from people that have been doing this for decades on what to do, what to look for, what to start with. And, you know, some of the biggest advice I think even odd job said in his podcast that happened as the recap, to blue team con that, you know uh, you you gotta get really good at your core. Don't just try and do all the things at once. And that was a big focus of ours as well. And, And a piece of advice, I think he directly gave. So, And that's what we kind of listen to because a lot of people were like, well, let's just go for trainings on year one or year two. And it's like, no, we got to really get the core down and get people there and and make sure the talks and the villages that we start with are good. And then we can start expanding on it. And I think that's what a a lot of security tool companies should do as well. Focus on your core before you expand to try and solve the world. (laughs)
1: oh boy we could go down a whole nother show topic with that couldn't we? oh yes i know <laughs> uh, i think i'm gonna stick to blue team con today just to keep it safe but, yeah, yeah. but no i you know and it's and even the board like i look at our board and one of the things i i'm personally at least proud of is the diversity of our board and where people come from i mean you've got people on our board who are involved in other conferences who've done this stuff i mean i've I've helped organize those corporate conferences we were talking about in addition to participating. And we've got people who've spoken at conferences, people who've done all different functions of what it takes to run a conference. And so bringing that all together, but we're also, you know, we're very diverse in a lot of other ways, too. I mean, just visually look at our team. And it's I think that that's really important. And we, we saw an example earlier this year of what happens when conferences don't do that. And I, I won't get into the specifics of that, but, um, you know, we, we saw what happens when there's one person making decisions for a conference, it can, it can go pretty badly. So, you know, I, I, think from that end, you know, that's, that's another thing that maybe people don't realize even just how much there is that goes on and how those different voices help create a conference that, you know, for our goals, I think is to, to make sure that it's, you know, safe, accessible and enjoyable for everybody.
2: Yeah, I agree, and I think back to your like the, the the network behind the scenes of con organizers working together. That it's not really a huge competition. There was, I think, in the past, there used. I was talking to um, one of the DEFCON organizers and founders that there used to be a network. There used to be like an actual platform that con organizers would meet on when it was back in the day when there was only probably a handful of conferences compared to the probably hundreds that exist now. But Yeah, we were talking about maybe something like that should come back for all of us kind organizers that care to have almost like a background, like we can all be on a forum or some chat network where we all talk to each other and can bounce ideas off each other and stuff. So I think it's only gonna grow from here as people realize we kind of need to work together because it's just for the betterment of, of our security industry, really.
1: Yeah, and in that spirit, you mentioned OJ before, odd job. So I am gonna mention really quickly, folks, if you haven't already, uh, check out Glass of OJ on YouTube. Um, Ajab is a great channel out there. He does a lot of conversations. His most recent video that I think dropped yesterday or today is kind of a, his own retrospective on what you know people learned at Blue Team Con. And so Frank, I mean, if there's one thing with Blue Team Con that you're looking back at this past weekend, if there's one thing you're really proud of. What What's the one that really stood out to you the most in terms of this year's event? Ooh, I asked a tough question. I didn't know that was going to be that hard.
2: (laughs) I want to make sure I say the right thing and that I get, uh, that I get what I think would be the most. I mean, the growth and the people are great. I I love that we have, you know, minimal incidents, the incidents that we do have are things we take serious and kind of correct right away or or put them through the code of conduct, um, mechanisms and, and roles that we have. But, uh, I think that the fact that the attendees are so great that we don't have any major issues and everyone just has a great time is is the biggest key to me. Um, I, if I look on our side, I would say the best thing we did this time was probably where we placed everything was a much better flow this year than the first year. Um, it got a lot more engagement with all the extra things beyond just the two talk tracks.
1: Yeah, and I'll be honest. I mean, I heard that feedback from people too, that they were just really, they really liked, they could actually visually see how we had improved year two over year one. And I think yeah. that that's, that's a really neat thing. The other thing I will mention, because you did tweet about it, that to me it was like a really cool story. I don't know if it's necessarily the thing I would say most proud of, but it's right up there. Oh, yeah. uh, you mentioned the person who was working production in our in the Track 1 room who came up to you and I after the event and mentioned that She had been in tech and had gotten a degree in, I think, computer science or something like that. and A master's in
2: information systems. She has a master's in it.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And now she's been inspired to get into cybersecurity. Yeah. That, to me, was like a really exciting moment. In fact, actually, she's got my contact information. I hope I hear from her. Because I didn't get hers. <laughs> um, yeah, me too.
2: I mean, if we can't, if we can't, I can reach out to the AV company. Maybe we can find out who it was because they're a union workers, so I'm sure they'll sit down. But yeah, she she mentioned that she, I, I guess that I guess the AV union people can see what what gigs are coming up, and she specifically lo- saw Blue Team Con, looked into it, and was like, oh yeah, I want this one, and requested to be at this one. So while she was in there running AV production, she was able to see all these talks, and she says she loved it. She learned a ton, and it just really. Got out of her brain again that now she wants to get back into it.
1: Which is, to awesome. me, I mean, you, you know how I am about, you know, trying to bring people into the industry. And I know you are too. Like I, you, you put a lot of effort in on Twitter trying to raise voices who maybe aren't the, the big follower accounts, right? Uh-huh. Um, I, I've seen that from you a lot. and So I, that importance of trying to bring new people into cybersecurity and really help expand, you know, just the, the – the diversity of mindsets and also just the, the number of people because we, we need people. Yes. So that, I, that's
2: I, I, big, I was going to say, that's another big component of blue team con that I really, really focus on is making sure that the people realize right. that they're on blue team con if they don't realize they're part of cybersecurity. So it's the, the the common thing I go to is like your local high school IT administrator. They don't realize they work in cybersecurity, but they do because your local high school does not have a cybersecurity team. They right. they have that administrator that is in charge of group policy and Active Directory and making sure all the machines are locked out. Well, that's blue team work, <laughs> amongst other work uh, being you know their infrastructure, their help desk, their all of it. So, but those are the people that really need the help because I feel like those people do not have the network. They don't understand what's out there available to them. And, my goal is to get this kind of content get this kind of community built so these people realize they have that network because i my metaphor for you and everyone out there is where our role is a lot like doctors it's not possible to know everything you, you it's i challenge you to find a doctor that knows at an expert level every part of the human body which would you think is easy because there's not even that much in the human body it's all this is it if there's nothing that could ever change we're all the same so but you look at cybersecurity, and it's more than that. So there's way more fields than like even the human body has. So if you can't find an expert doctor on the human body, you're not going to find one that's an expert in all things cybersecurity. So you need to build out your specialist network the same way doctors do. So the only way you can do that is by going to community events and and growing your own network.
1: And, And bridging that gap, the people who this isn't necessarily the focus of their day job and bringing them in and communicating in a way that means something to them. Absolutely. See how I brought that full circle because we're at that time <laughs> where we got to wrap things up. But i, I th- this has been a great discussion, Frank. Really, I'm, I'm actually a little embarrassed I didn't have you on sooner, but no. at the same time, really glad for the timing because it gave us a chance to talk about not only the the incredible nature of what you do as an architect at your organization and, and how important that is, but also to be able to highlight Blue Team Con and even Circle City Con a little bit here and. You know, I mean, there's so many great conferences out there. It's it's nice to be able to give some airtime to a couple of them, and and so I appreciate you coming on today, and especially last minute. For those that didn't realize, yes, Frank was uh was kind enough to jump in at the last minute when I had a a, a cancellation with a another guest, and so really glad if this is what it took to get you on the show. Is you know, I I, I I like I said, I wish I thought of it sooner but yeah. uh, thanks again for being on
2: thank you for having me i really appreciate it
1: awesome and to all you out there thank you so much for joining us yet again for hey episode 21 as oj pointed out it our our show is now old enough to drink so um thank you for joining in as always this episode will be converted to podcast in a couple days available on the all the typical podcast platforms uh google apple spotify you, you, you know the deal So hope to see you again soon. Be sure to check out the previous 20 episodes if you missed any of them. We have had some awesome, awesome guests on the show. And we'll be back here next week with another amazing guest. So stay tuned and we'll talk to you next time right here on Securing Bridges.
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of Securing Bridges podcast with Alyssa Miller. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think